What if we just throw it all to the wind and say, the only thing I want is Jesus. The only thing I want is the leading of the Holy Ghost. The only thing I want is what God wants for me. And I don't care about any of this other stuff. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Glory, glory. Let's not stop worshiping. Thank you, God. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Glory, glory, glory. Thank you, God. 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 Mm. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we come to you this evening. We worship you and we praise you and we thank you for this body. We thank you for our pastors. We thank you for the members of the body around the world and here at home. We give you glory and praise and honor. We thank you for revealing your word to us as we uh, press in for understanding. We thank you that you take hold together with us, reveal what's in your word as, uh, as we spend time together studying. And we give you all the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. I mean, this is going to be an amazing year. It's going to be an, it's an amazing start already, and it's going to be an absolutely amazing year uh, this whole year. I want to speak, if that's okay, on what's burning in my heart, which is wild, abandoned passion for God. And, <laughs> and what it takes to get there. Hallelujah. So, um, um, 2 Samuel. Let's turn there. Let's start there. 2 Samuel 6. I'm going to start reading somewhere around chapter or verse 5. But the... Uh, the setup of that is the Philistines conquered the Israelites. They took the Ark of the Covenant. It didn't go well for the Philistines when they had the Ark of the Covenant. They sent it back. They didn't want it. And then David and the rest of the Israelites together, David is the king, they you know, built the cart, got some new oxen, and they were going to bring it back to Jerusalem. So in verse 5, it says, David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, which is kind of like a, it's a percussion instrument, and cymbals. So David starts out celebrating, and then what happens? Well, then, then when they reached Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out for the ark because you know, the oxen stumbled. And then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah. God struck him down on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. So 
Terry, I'll skip a few verses, but David got angry, of course, but he also got afraid. So they left the Ark of the Covenant at this threshing floor, right? And so what happened was um, he was... He wasn't, he was, uh, verse 10 said, he was not willing to move the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And so, of course, the Lord, chapter, or verse 12 says, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David realized it was safe and comes back in and he picks up, this is three months later, he picks up right where he left off, all of Israel again. So now... Um, they they sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf right away, six steps in. And then verse 14 is where we get to the good stuff, where David was dancing with all his might before the Lord wearing a linen ephod. He and his whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sound of a ram's horn. And as the ark of the Lord was entering into the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michael, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So uh, they brought the Lord, ark of the Lord up and set it in his place inside the tent of David. The temple had not yet been built, and the tent that David had set up for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. When he'd finished the burnt offerings and the fellowship's offerings, he blessed all the people in the name of Yahweh of hosts. Then he distributed a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake to each one in the entire Israelite community. He gave everybody a present. And then all the people left, everybody went home. Then David went home, and that's when Michael said, oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today. He exposed himself today in the sight of slave girls of his subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. And David, of course, replied, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord and I will humble myself even more and humiliate myself. I will be honored by those slave girls you spoke about. And then Saul's daughter, his wife, had no children to the day of her death. So David, with wild abandon and with passion danced before the Lord. Is that what we're supposed to do? Quick quiz. Anybody? Right. So the the difference with the old covenant and the new covenant is, and um, this is, you can find this actually chapter seven of plans, purposes, and pursuits. If you're not regularly reading that book, you probably should be there. You can't find enough um, in there. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's an endless supply of revelation. But um, in that, Kenneth Hagin was, uh, there was a, a, I'm trying to remember which meeting it was, doesn't really matter, it was somewhere. He was having a meeting and suddenly he was up in the top of the building with with Jesus and Jesus was speaking to him. And he said to me, Jesus said to me, this is Kenneth Hagin saying, that Jesus said to me, it is unscriptural in the New Testament to dance before the Lord before the Lord, it is scriptural to dance in the spirit. So the Old Testament saints worship God purely in the flesh. We in the New Testament are to worship God in the spirit. And you don't have to, this is all still quoting Kenneth Hagin. Amazing. You, you don't have to have music to dance in the spirit. Neither do you need to have people present to watch you dance because your dancing is not a production for man's eyes, but an expression of your heart toward God. Um, so it's, 
actually, let me read this next part first, and then I'll I'll do something else. So they're still dancing, right? We we dance here. We're not a non-dancing church, but um, Lester Sumrall um, asked. He once asked Smith Wigglesworth how he got up in the morning. Have you all heard this story? So <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth said, I jump out of bed and I dance before the Lord for at least 10 to 12 minutes. High speed dancing. I jump up and down and run around my room telling God how great he is, how wonderful he is, how glad I am to be associated with him and to be his child. David danced with all his might and Smith danced in the spirit, but both of them, different covenants, different times, both of them threw themselves fully and passionately into the worship of God. They didn't care what they looked like. David didn't care who was watching, and nobody was watching Smith. He wasn't doing it for anybody, neither of them were. The whole point of this is passion. Passion has a look, and it's easy to see when we're not passionate about something. And, and, in the Old Testament, it was dancing, right? That was a look. There's also, there are other elements of it, but one of the excited form of passion was dancing. There's also a subdued form of passion that could be weeping. It could be sorrowful passion is a thing. But when we're talking about passion for the things of God, it is, you know, David wore his heart on his sleeve. If you read through the Psalms, you know, he, he had to do everything in might and power, but he did everything in might and power. He went out all out all the time. We, on the other hand, worship God in spirit and truth. Uh, that involves dancing or shouting. Uh, sometimes it involves running or falling as you yield to the power. Um, but it's not something that's worked up in the flesh. It can be imitated by fleshly actions. But God sees through it, and eventually people will too, every time. But it can't, it can't be worked up in the flesh, but it can be stirred up. And in 2 Timothy 1.6, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I'm writing, you to, I'm writing to encourage you to fan into flame and rekindle the fire of that spiritual gift God imparted to you when I laid my hands upon you. And it goes right into... It almost I've always divided these verses as though they're not related, but they really are. For God didn't give you the spirit of fear. He'll never give you the spirit of fear, but he gives you the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power and love and self-control. He said, so never be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor be embarrassed over my imprisonment. Paul was in prison at the time, but overcome every evil by the revelation of the power of God. He gave us resurrection life and drew himself up by his holy calling on our lives. And it wasn't because of any good that we've done. It was his divine pleasure, his marvelous grace that confirmed our union with the anointed Jesus even before time began. The truth is now being unveiled by the revelation of the anointed Jesus, our life giver, who has dismantled death, obliterating all its effects in our lives, and has manifested his immortal life in us by the gospel. So it's, you, you have to, we're going to have to stir this up continually. And I know everybody's like, I'm just looking out. Everybody's sitting down. Everybody's watching. You can't fake passion, but you can continue to stir yourself up so that 
when that passion, we just experienced it. No, nobody had to stir anybody else, anybody up about Waymaker. The, there's an anointing on that song and on those particular singers, but on that song, and as we entered into that, nobody had to say, stand up and raise your hands. Nobody, we, weren't, we weren't doing that. We were, we were yielding. We were following, sometimes following a lead because it didn't, everybody didn't stand up at once. But it was, it's that passion um, that we have, to, we have to stir it up in ourselves or it becomes dormant. You don't, um, you know, I'll say it probably every time, but Lucy said you can't coast uphill and this whole thing is always uphill. Like we're, we're continuing to increase. We're, we were called to rise up and take a rightful place in the body of Christ. That's what our pastors, the calling on our pastors lies. Well, rising up doesn't mean rise up, sit on a plane for a while, climb up again, climb up again. And the, the scary thing about it is as we all continue to go up, at any point you can say, oh, I'm done. I'm done going up and get off the bus. You could be here, you know, six months or 60 years and the same the same is always an option the only remedy for that is to always press in with your hunger for god and we have to stir up that gift um, and when you do stir up that gift you start doing wild things you start go you, you do you you start physically demonstrating the wild things but you also start as you're listening in your spirit you start doing things you never thought you would do uh, as a shy, reserved person, or as a modest person, or as someone who, you know, you may think you're couth, and it's uncouth to do the things of, is that the first time I've ever said couth, I think, in my life? You, you think it is uncouth to, to throw yourself into passion. And it's, it's the exact opposite. And again, not physically demonstrating it in the flesh, but working up, getting a hold. If you, I mean, I'm, I'm just reading the Word of God and not just reading the Word of God. I'm just reading the Word of God. And if you read it like it's written, you get stirred up. If you read it, you can read it silently. You're not going to get stirred up. Maybe a little bit. If you start reading it out loud and you start reading it with the dynamics of a, the way that the that Paul was communicating it to Timothy, that the Holy Ghost was communicating it to Paul with the passion that's actually in the words. As you start doing that, you're like, yeah, that's on the inside. You start growing and you're fanning into flame. It says there in verse six, second Timothy. When you do stir that up, you also stop fearing other people. You're not afraid of not just, not just strangers. I think we're a lot less afraid of strangers than we are of people we actually know pretty well. So, like, I, I got spirit-filled thanks to, uh, here at this church, um, thanks to the hunger and passion of Jim and Lucy, and they brought their daughter, who grabbed hold of it for herself, who then came and found me and brought me down here, and I had to grab hold of it myself. Um, but all this is happening, and my parents, who love God with all their heart, didn't, didn't do any of this. And I was afraid 
to say, hey, let's talk about tongues. Let's talk about getting you spirit-filled. I, I operated in fear that whole time because uh, I don't know what they're going to say. I don't want them to disown me. I know they're going to heaven, so I don't have to really worry too much. But the passion kept growing inside me, and my dad's with Jesus now, but both of my parents got filled with the Holy Ghost and started operating in much greater revelation of my mom. My mom is continuing into that revelation today. But they wouldn't have done that if I had remained afraid. So it's harder to it's not hard. None of it's hard. Actually, it's all really easy. It's just if you build yourself up on the word and on the truth, then you're not afraid of the people around you. You're not afraid of the people in class with you. You're not afraid of the people you work with. You're not afraid of the other people in this room. If you, uh, God doesn't, there is a corporate anointing. Absolutely. God also ministers to us each individually all the time. I can't ride Melanie's coattails. Doesn't work that way. We can't ride the worship team's coattails. We can't ride the pastor's coattails. We can't ride Spencer's coattails because he delivers these incredible in-depth notes. Like that, how many, time, how many people here get those notes with regularity? How many people read them? How many people get it for themselves? Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you every time. Because the work you put in, I got a revelation a few years ago that what comes from this pulpit is by the Holy Ghost and for our good. And there's an anointing here that you step into. I mean, anybody who gets up here and delivers whatever they're supposed to deliver, there's an anointing here. There's an anointing at this church, and there's a, there's a way to ignore it. You can either jump in or stand on the side of the pool. And I, I'm done. I don't want us to stand on the side of the pool anymore. I'm going to find my notes again. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. In the Passion Translation, it says... I stood before you feeling inadequate, but I was filled with reverence for God, and I was trembling under the sense of the importance of my words. 2 Corinthians uh, 5.11 says, <laughs> I was working with a little bit of fear here. We're not fearing men, but we do fear the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is not afraid fear. It's that holy awe and reverence. He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, this is the King James said, I think so, I think that's King James. Uh, we, persuade, um, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. I, and in the Passion Translation it says, since we are those who stand in holy awe of the Lord, we make it our passion to persuade others to turn to him. So you, you can't fear the person at the grocery store who needs who needs that revelation someone you've never met before someone who doesn't may not <laughs> fit what you would think of someone you need to minister but if you pastor Cheryl has said it um, pastors have said it over and over and over again and it's on the YouTube channel if you want to look at it again just as a clip pastor Cheryl has said you have to immediately obey the if you hesitate for a second, one second, you start, you allow 
doubt to start getting in, and doubt and fear are just the same thing. And it's that fear starts getting in, and it starts driving you back on your heels until you don't do the thing that you were called and ready to do, the thing that you could have done. Um, but it takes it takes fearlessness to do that. Um, and I've been talking about passion being you know this loud big thing, but it's also sometimes a silent thing. And specifically in our minds, um, in how to be how you can be led by the Spirit of God, Kenneth Hagin says. One of the, the prophet Kenneth Hagin, the anointed prophet of God, Kenneth Hagin. I'm not going to say anything less than that. Hallelujah. He said, one of the greatest mistakes that has been made in our intellectual culture, and we are in an intellectual culture, even, probably even more so now than we were at the time he said this, um, because knowledge has increased. It continues to increase. One of the greatest mistakes that has been made in our intellectual culture is the ignoring of the human spirit. Instead of, instead of allowing our spirit to dominate our intellect, we've allowed our knowledge or intellect to dominate our human spirit. In many instances, intellect has taken the throne. And our human spirit, which should guide us, has been neglected or locked away in prison, so to speak. When we shut away our spirit and never listen to it, we become crippled in life and easy prey to selfish and designing people. But when we allow our human spirit to gain the mastery and influence us during a crisis, we will climb to the top. How do we learn to listen to our spirit? We start by meditating on the written word of God. So, all the time, we have the three parts of us, right? The three parts of man, body, soul, spirit. Competing for mastery. The spirit is, the rightful place of the spirit is seated on that throne that he just described, not the throne of God, but the throne. But, it takes effort. It takes continually a continual effort of listen, of being quiet, quieting your mind, because your mind wants to take over. And really, it, within that, really your emotions want to take over more than your mind. Your emotions are going to see. Uh, you know, we've we've experienced these things around lately, and just in life, your your emotions are going to want to take over. They're going to want to tell you. Um, you can emotionally approach God or you can emotionally get mad at someone who's doing something by the Spirit of God. You're, and emotions are stronger than mind. We think we're rational. And Seth said this the other day. We think we're rational beings, but we're, there's a lot of emotion. The only way really to overcome that emotion is to be Spirit-led people. And the only way to be Spirit-led people is we have to start meditating on the Word of God. And then he continues, as we learn to quiet our minds, the Holy Spirit will communicate with our spirit through the word of God and unveil truths to us. That isn't, the truths that we get at this church are amazing. The truths we get from our pastors are amazing. That's not what he's saying. And that's not, that's not the only thing. He reveals truths to us as we quiet our minds, as we listen to our spirit, as we are in the word of God. He begins to reveal truths to us. Mike had a, a testimony, a, lo a lot of testimony over the summer um, 
where he, he got a revelation of a truth that everybody he would talk to didn't have that revelation. But he quieted his mind, and he got in the Word, and he got a hold of that truth. And now, I don't know that there's anybody who would, <laughs> definitely nobody out loud, but I don't know that there's anybody who would disagree with the revelation that he got, because we all were being pulled up that same direction, and we're starting to get that revelation. But if we press in for ourselves, you, we're going to get our, uh, we're going to get our own specific revelations, and I don't mean like that everybody couldn't get the same thing because God, God's not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie. He will always give the same revelation. The whole, it's the same Holy Ghost. It's the same mind of God. We're going to get the same kind of revelations, but there's so many revelations to be had that you may just get a little piece here and a little piece here and a little piece here, but as we come together. But God has those for you, individually, you, and you can't get it just coming to church. We are here at the church five hours a week. Is that right? Maybe. I mean, set up teardown time, but actually hearing the Word of God, maybe four hours a week is probably closer. What, what, it, what does that do for you? That's a, that is great revelation and great truth and great corporate anointing, but if you don't do anything with it, the other hundred whatever hours a week, you're going to end up in the same place you were 10 years ago. Or you're going to go backwards. Or you're going to get offended at something and be emotion-led and eventually get off the bus. And we've had enough people get off the bus. I'd rather everybody just get on the bus, move up. There's some open seats up front. Come on. Keep coming. The more we quiet our minds and think on the Word of God, the more the Holy Spirit will speak to our human spirit. This is how he becomes the dominant force in our lives. Then we will almost never make mistakes when we give heed to our spirits. So I'll say that last line again. Then we will almost never make mistakes when we give heed to our spirits. So who wants to keep making mistakes? And there's a, there is a specific path there's the Holy Ghost who will never make a mistake, who wants to and is telling you the right things, but we have to get a hold of that in our human spirit, and then we don't make them. And then we go through life without making mistakes because we're not making the choices on our own. We're, <laughs> we're listening. We're getting the right information. We st we're still the doers. We're still the ones who have to make the choice, but then we get to do the things without making the mistakes. I keep quoting a lot of Kenneth Hagin tonight, but it's awesome. The other part I want to say, and we experienced this this week, is sometimes passion is waiting. He said, and I think this is, um, that's Plants, Purposes, and Pursuits as well. He said, some of the old-time Pentecostals knew something that deeper, something about that deeper move of the Spirit. The modern-day Pentecostals, this is the new generation of charismatics, and most of us probably came up during the charismatic movement or post-charismatic. Is that a thing? This new generation of charismatics know little or nothing about it. Charismatics know little or nothing about the move of my spirit. Charismatics know a little about praising me, but they know nothing at all about true worship. Now, we're beyond that. We do know, we do know more than a little 
about true worship. We do know more than nothing, I'll say that, about true worship. He said, you see, when you talk about worship, there is a spirit of reverence that goes along with it. As I've already mentioned, in the church I pastored in Farmersville, Texas, we regularly experienced, again, we regularly experienced the awesome presence of God, but we were always very careful to reverence the Holy Spirit in our services. Consequently, the miraculous was an everyday occurrence with us. He said, he said, we haven't really experienced that in the charismatic movement. There's been a lightness in the charismatic services, a hip-hip-hooray type of atmosphere. Oh, but in times past, I've seen the presence of God come in and fill the temple. And when I say the temple, I mean a body of believers. During those times when the presence of God came into our services, no one moved. An awesome presence filled the room. He said, I wish I could describe that awesome presence to you. Some things are just too reverent to talk about, and it's hard to find words to describe them. But I've seen the awesome presence of God come in and fill the temple, and I long to see the body of Christ experience that presence on a continual basis. So he's talking about the awesome presence where we wouldn't want to move. And that's, that's that stillness. Um, yeah. At rehearsal this week, the music team experienced that stillness. And I don't think we've ever, where's my friend Nancy? I don't think we've ever experienced that as a team. And it was, it was an awesome, holy, heavy, still reverence. We finished a song and stayed basically still for the next 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and we're just getting a taste of it. I'm saying that to say, first of all, it's, it's just awesome basking in the presence of God and sitting in the presence and wanting to just be in that presence all the time in a corporate, quiet fashion. And we have um, we have so much more to go on that side of things than the old time Pentecostals he was talking about. And I want to get there. I want us to get there. I don't think I'm alone. In, I know I'm not alone because I've got Nancy. I don't know we're not alone in, in wanting this that that raw passion of God. We are passionate. Our pastors are passionate. We're stepping in. We're praising God. But if we, if we walk in the building reverencing God, and I don't mean, I do not remotely mean religious, because religious is fake. And it's, it would, if anything, <laughs> not if anything, religion will hinder the move of God. Religion will always hinder the presence of God, and the Holy Ghost isn't going to hang around religion. I'm not saying we're doing that at all. I'm saying don't. Uh, but if we approach the building, if we approach coming to church, knowing that we're going to have an encounter with God from the moment we drive on the property, from the moment we step through the door, you can still be friends with people. You can still talk to people. But if that is your passion, if you come in passionate you're going to see the fruits of that passion, and the Holy Ghost is going to manifest in ways He's not manifested before in this congregation. 
John 4.24 says, this is the Passion Translation again, from here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. So the there was a lady that Jesus was talking to, and she was... Um, she, they worshiped somewhere other than Jerusalem. And he was like, it's not going to be about that anymore. It's going to be about with your heart because God is a spirit and he longs to have sincere, true worshipers who worship and adore him in the realms of the spirit and truth. He says, so I'll go, uh, now I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead. Um, I'll skip the next few, Terry, I'll tell you where we are, just because there are a couple of things we want to do still. So what's the point of this? What, why, why am I bringing this? What, what is the point of this? Starting Sunday, we are entering into a new era of Grace Christian Center. The truth and the direction of this body will not change, and past, our pastors have proven faithful over how many years? 40, 41, 42? We're in the 42nd year now, something like that? If they decide to go home before Jesus comes back, which will be an awful long time before they go home, not awful, awful leave. Pastor Jennifer and this congregation, the people in this building right now, and the people that are with us but not in this building right now, we're going to stay faithful to this course. Uh, we're going to continually pursue God without compromise. We're going to continue to rise up and take our rightful place and continue to spread that truth to others who need to rise up and take their place. That's not going to change. But what is going to change is there's coming an influx of people. The, the Spirit of God said over Pastor Cheryl, hundreds, yea, even thousands, right? So there is a, there's a digital worldwide reach we have now, but the physical in the presence manifestation of God, people are going to come in. It's, our numbers are going to swell and I, I'm, and they're going to be people who are hungry for the things of God, you know. And and I, with with Robbie coming in, obviously, part of that, a strong part of that, will be the Indian community here in Charlotte. But I'm not limiting it to the Indian community here in Charlotte. But if we are not demonstrating passion to them out there, whoever they may be, the people we come into contact with, how's how's the church going to grow? Like, what are we going to do to grow? It's, it's going to have to be our, the communication of our faith as we continue to, to show people and, and show strangers. And we have to do this. The point of this is, what are they going to see? What are the people going to see in us when they get here? Are they going to see fire and passion? Yes, I've seen lots of fire and passion. What if we had more? What if we stirred ourselves up more? What if we stirred up the gift within us more? Let's not grow weary in well-doing. 2020 is the year of dreams and visions, and they're the dreams and visions God is going to give us. Let's pursue God like we've never pursued him before. Let's step out into not caring what people might think of us. The world already thinks we're crazy, right? The world already thinks Christians are crazy, and Christians think we're crazy. Who cares? So what? Let's humble ourselves like David did. David did it by dancing. Let's just humble ourselves. Let's pursue God with this reckless abandon. And what if we decide this year to push all our chips into the middle of the table? 
That's a gambling reference, Elijah. Don't gamble. What if we pressed the envelope? What if we break the sound barrier as a congregation, but individually, we each have to break the sound barrier? What if we are willing to lose our lives, what we think of our lives, in pursuit of him? And really, what if we just throw it all to the wind and say, the only thing I want is Jesus. The only thing I want is the leading of the Holy Ghost. The only thing I want is what God wants for me, and I don't care about any of this other stuff. That's exactly what Paul's saying. What if we had, this is TJ, what if we had the guts to go for it? I'm not saying be out of order. The Holy Ghost is never out of order. But let's err on the side of boldness. Let's not have the next offering by the Holy Ghost, get up, and nobody's on their feet from the beginning. And I'm not saying run up here screaming unless that's directly, unless you're attuned enough to your Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit inside of you to do that from the beginning. But stand up. Raise your hands. Praise God. I don't know that in all the years I've been here, I don't know that anybody's ever been corrected, quote fingers, for standing up and praising God. If you're passionate about the things of God, and so what if you are? You stand up, and I'm using the offering, but it could be in any area. Stand up with, with my envelope and say, praise God. Like, you don't, you don't have to draw attention to yourself. You're just saying, I'm in. And the moment the, the gates are open, rush the stage. See what happens. See what happens. The worst thing that's going to happen is, is the Holy Ghost through our pastor would say, hey, like, uh, we need to keep this more organized. But I've never seen, I've never seen a, a rebuke over passion. I've seen correction, like, you know, step here, do these things right. I've never seen anyone get rebuked for the passion of God. So let's be passionate. Let's not let that happen again. Can we commit to that? The only way we're not going to let that happen again is if we're listening in our spirits because if we have to wait on Pastor Cheryl or Collier or whoever it is saying, hey, let's do this. And I'm saying giving, but it's in any area. Don't wait on anybody else. It's time to get off our heels. Smith, Smith Wigglesworth had this secret. It's worshiping him without reserve, without restraint, full out, full bore, unashamed. It starts in the secret place where it's just you and God. It can't start here. This is, a, this is a public forum. That's not worship. Worship is alone. What happens to hidden things? Thank you. So Luke 12, 2 says, For there's nothing covered that shall not, shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear of the closet shall be, claimed upon, be proclaimed upon the housetops. So what if the thing you're doing in secret is that hidden, wild, abandoned passion of God? If you're doing that, it's going to show up in your life every day, and it's only ever going to be good. So nobody can, nobody can tell you to do it. I, I can encourage you. The Holy Ghost can encourage you. Your friends around you can encourage you, and you should surround yourself with people who do. And this is a great body of believers that does. You're gonna have to do it for yourself. It's all. It always comes down to that. You have to go after the passion yourself. You have to go be 
wild about it yourself. And when you do, it will always turn out good. So just a little bit more here, a lot bit more. I'm just going to read straight up. I don't know if any of you have read the Passion Translation. It's not fully translated yet. I think it's just the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs, if I'm not mistaken. It's a fairly new translation. And with all translations, the same thing. Study to show yourself approved. Check the word. But you can hear the passion of the translators, but I think it's the passion of what's actually there coming through. Um, so I just want to read Philippians 3. Paul says, my beloved ones, check that. The Holy Ghost said through Paul, my beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. I don't mind repeating what I've already written you because it protects you. Be aware or beware of those religious hypocrites, the word there is actually dogs, who teach that you should be circumcised to please God. We've already had, we've already experienced heart circumcision. And we worship God in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit, not in laws or in religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. That's another thing. If God's really actually powerful, you're going to boast about it. You're going to boast about people being raised from the dead. You're going to boast about that when I lay hands on the sick, they recover. That's what God said about me, so I'm going to say it about me. And I'm going to go up to the person who doesn't know a thing about God and say, listen, this is what my God said about me, and I'm bold enough to believe him and do this. Or they're going to stay sick. It's true that once I relied on all that I had become, we've had a lot of time to become things, and we have a there's an ability to get stale and religious in any circumstance. There's abilities, like we have to continually shed any kind of thing trying to hold us back from that passion of God. It has to be, it has to be a continual process, because if not, you'll calcify. Have you ever seen um, boats in the Dead Sea? So the Dead Sea is below sea level, and all the salt ends up there, and it's very, very, very thick. Well, there are some tour boats there, but that salt just cakes on the bottom of those boats. If they don't can regularly clean it off, it'll just eat right through the hole and they lose the boat. It has to be like almost continual process. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how often, but uh, you know, it's, it's way more regular than you would have on any kind of regular ocean-going vessel or any you know, uh, freshwater vessel. It's, it's the same kind of thing. We have to continually shed that stuff off, that stuff that would hinder us. He said, I relied on what I'd become. I had a reason to boast in myself and my accomplishments. And then he goes through his pedigree of who he was and what he's done. He said in verse 7, Yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them, and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's like a pile of manure to me now, so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law. My righteousness will 
will be his. He's given us his righteousness based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings, and I will be one with him in his death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with him and in his resurrection from the realm of death. I admit that I've not yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all the past and I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. 